Here's what's coming up on this episode of the Beaver Tales podcast. It definitely was one of the best journeys I've ever taken. I know that I've embraced reaching that goal and embraced the journey a lot more than actually having the title of Olympian. I like becoming an Olympian. Stay tuned for the whole conversation we've got on this episode of the podcast. First, I'd like to mention one of the nonprofits that I give some free advertising to on this podcast. And today, I'm mentioning Food for the Hungry. Food for the Hungry helps empower people with education, resources, preparation for the next stage of life, and exiting a life of poverty. Their work all around the globe has changed lives, and they're doing that every day. You can sponsor a family, a child, donate money, and get involved. There's a link in the description, but you can find them at fh.org. That's food for the hungry at fh.org. All right, on to the episode. This is the Beaver Tales podcast with Josh Wharton, who has covered Oregon State athletics since 2013. Well, hi again, everybody. Thanks for joining me on the podcast where we talk about Oregon State athletes and what they're doing today. Not just talk about them, but talk with them. Each and every episode, I get a new Oregon State student athlete on to talk about what they did in Corvallis, what they've done since then, and the life lessons learned along that whole process. And today, we go back to an era in Oregon State women's basketball. We revisited not too long ago, a podcast a few weeks ago, with Casey Bunn-Wilson. And one of the people she recommended I get on was a teammate of hers, in Kim Butler, or as she's known up in Tacoma, where she's coaching at Bellarmine Prep, her players would call her Kim West, but when she was playing at Oregon State, it was Kim Butler, and she had a long career playing both at OSU for a couple years, one of the leading scorers in the conference, the team's leading scorer in 2006, and going on to play in Europe for six different countries. She played in Greece, Israel, Slovakia, Spain, Latvia, and Italy, and counting a brief stint with the Los Angeles Sparks, that would make seven countries, including America. But she also competed in the 2012 Olympics. She's actually from Great Britain, kind of. She was born in America, but her parents are British, and she was playing in Europe, and so she joined the Great Britain national team basically right as it was starting. I mean, she's kind of an inaugural member and then uh, when the Olympics were in London, right there, over across the pond, she was able to be on that team. So I get my first Olympian on the podcast today to talk about a lot more than basketball. In fact, the conversation shifted a lot right from the beginning. I didn't expect to talk about mental health very much, but I asked her kind of what's going on in her life. And she talked about graduate school and the things she learned from playing overseas. So we kind of paralleled her whole playing career with things she's learned off the court and how she brings that into coaching and and just a lot of really fun things. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with the native of Tacoma who played at Bellarmine Prep, that high school in Tacoma, and now coaches at that same high school. And for someone who had four college coaches in five years, she played at Santa Clara, had a couple coaching changes, came to Oregon State, played for both Judy Spolstra and LaVonda Wagner. She's now a coach offering a little more stability, staying there for a few years than she had in college, but she got used to the European circuit, playing for a bunch of different countries and a lot of different coaches, not all of them who even spoke English, and now she's in the coaching ranks herself. So here is a Tacoma native, former Oregon State women's basketball player and Olympian, Kim Butler. I like the shirt, by the way, the, the Beaver Nation got the Oregon State logo. So thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Fun to get this out of the uh, dresser. It's been too long. What does life look like right now? We'll go back kind of chronologically through your career and end with what life looks like. But just real quick snapshot of what, you know, summer of 2020 looks like in, in your life. 
Um, quarantining, yeah. <laughs> as everybody. No, um, I'm actually starting a grad school here in a few weeks, um, getting my master's in counseling from Northwestern and kind of been my path, I think, since my undergraduate and playing overseas and coaching and mentoring. And that's kind of been my aim. I just haven't been ready. So this is the time. And um, I've collected enough experience, enough um, highs and lows and all the the grittiness of what life throws at you. And I'm, I'm ready to, um, to help, to help others. I think mental health is, uh, should be at, at, you know, everyone's forefront and, and aim, um, especially during this time. Um, but just having, just having a lot myself, mental stuff and retiring, kind of figuring out what's next in my life. Um, it's a big process. So, when your body fails you as an athlete, <laughs> where are you mentally? Um, so I'm really excited to start this program. It's, it's, um, it's one of the top and I can't wait to get back in and study school. This is weird. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. So will you stay in Tacoma while doing online? Cause I think Northwestern is in the, the Midwest ironically, right? If that's the same one I'm thinking of. Right. It's uh, Evanston um, or, you know, close to Chicago. No, it's all online. It's been an online program, um, I think, early 2000s. So they haven't just adopted that um, because of COVID. But so it's it's highly um, renowned. And I'm I'm stoked to, to get on all these Zoom meetings and uh, <laughs> as the rest of the world. Right. <laughs> we'll, we'll again kind of come back chronologically, but one more question is on that topic. When you picture what your uh, studies will, will help you do once you finish that graduate degree, do you imagine taking that knowledge back to, to Bellarmine where you're coaching and implementing it there or looking kind of beyond and expanding your career field, going somewhere far away? Or maybe, maybe you haven't decided yet and that's okay, but what do you think about it? No, um, that's a great question. No, I think... Um, I mean, being a high school coach, we put on many different hats, right? You know, you're not just a coach or a facilitator of the game. You're, you know, a mentor, a um, counselor, a, you know, kind of a parent and, and all those things. So um, with this degree, I do want to start maybe seeing my own clients and whether it's a private practice or um, looking at sports psychology, working with teams, um, maybe transitions that people go through that type of therapy, because I know I've made many transitions and it wasn't always easy. Um, and uh, just recently viewing that uh, documentary, I don't know if you've seen it, um, it uh, of Michael Phelps and the, and the Olympians and just um, mental health aspects and uh, the epidemic of suicide after retirement and what now, you know, um, kind of building up to, or building up to one main goal as an Olympian or as a sporter, you know, and then, then we're done. And now what? Oh, real life has to happen. So um, I'm really intrigued by that. I, I know that um, there's not many resources for that. So um, maybe that could be my aim. 
I like to hear that. Let's touch on a few things throughout your playing career. And then maybe as we talk about your basketball career, we'll touch on a few things you were starting to learn about with mental health and how you started to get passionate about it. So maybe we can kind of parallel those two passions and how they played out and kind of finish again with the same topic of mental health and what you're doing in your life. But let's start with you were born in the U.S. and kind of based in Tacoma, but to British parents. So what's the backstory on how your family has ties on both sides of the Atlantic? Mm -hmm. Uh, My dad is from Liverpool, uh, England. So we're the Beatles, you know, (laughs) so I have every song in my head. Um, yeah, and just before I graduated or before I turned 18, I had dual citizenship. We would travel back and forth every other year to see my other half of the family based in Liverpool and London. And so when the opportunity to play overseas came about and um, try out for the um, LA Sparks, um, my agent you know, that was uh, a big factor, as in there is a cap of how many Americans on each European team. Um, So with that um, passport, I was um, able to play almost eight or nine years over there. That was a long career, and I'm sure you had a ton of amazing experiences over there. How much of going overseas instead of trying it out in America was specifically already with the Olympics in mind and kind of planning and prioritizing that? So it was after um, my first season or first half of the season, I tried out for the LA Sparks and um, Mandy Close and I did, and it was uh, a great few weeks and we came in really in great shape. But I mean, we're not the most skilled, we're not the highest jumpers. Like we we knew that it was just for the experience. I mean, here came Lisa Leslie. I think it was an easier decision. <laughs> um, but it was it was a great opportunity to um to play against the best and to see how that would go. Um and with with the opportunities of playing overseas, I really I was all about it being you know, kind of um, a half breed myself. So kind of always wanting to venture out into the, into Europe. And so, yeah, getting an agent and then with signing with Panathinaikos Greece, um, my rookie season probably was the hardest four months I can remember. Um, It was, it was just thrown into the fire. Um, Not much help uh, coming in as a rookie and a, probably very naive, uh, pampered student athlete from a big college. I mean, with your schedule is kind of set for you. Here's where you need to be. Here's your training table. Here's your, you know, classes you're in. And then it's um, real life, real fast. A female by yourself in one of the biggest cities in the world. Yeah, you learn, you learn a lot about just business aspects and a lot of just hard issues and I knew you know sitting out and waiting for my payment monthly was not my vision of why I was playing overseas Um, my coach didn't speak English I mean and then I'm learning that you know the next eight years five of my coaches didn't speak English at all so um, basketball is universal language 
once you yeah. get to a certain level. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it, I was, I was aware I was learning so much more than, I mean, my college education, just being by myself far away from all the support that, um, you know, my family, friends, loved ones, coaches, uh, were there. So I went to Israel after that Christmas and it was night and day different. Um, it was female run, uh, Ramat Hasharon in Israel. And it was, uh, I mean, they laid out our jerseys for us. It's just very different than <laughs> sitting there like I'm waiting for my payment, but here, let me do your laundry. So it was, um, quite different experience and payments on time. And, um, it was the Euro cup team. So, that was pretty great with my first being a rookie season playing on a Euro cup team. And, um, I kind of, I kind of started falling in love with this idea of this could, this could be my career for a while. Let's, let's see how long this goes. And it was the end of that season. Um, we're in the finals of the Israeli league and, um, a representative from Great Britain came to one of my games. So I, I was playing as an English under my English passport and asked if I would like to join them at team camp. And that would be the first Great Britain basketball team ever. Mm. And I was like, wait, what? Say that again? Like this would be a pioneering program and, um, and that just blew me away with how old a sport, either the United States or Russia or Australia knows of this game. And then this would be the first year ever having a collective, you know, group of, of team sport, male and female. So I was instantly like, what do I have to lose? Right. Um, they, they threw in the Olympics here seven years from now or however, you know, it was almost seven years. Like, Gosh, I don't know if I'm going to be playing that long, but um, we'll see. So I went and tried out. Yeah. So then once you had the opportunity to play for the national team and go to the Olympics, what, what was that like to play? It's a lot different playing for a program, I'm guessing, where there's not the established tradition of, you know, the U.S. national team and all the historic players and all that, too. This is kind of a new thing we got going. We're just figuring this out on the fly, maybe. So what was that experience like? And then ultimately getting to go to the 2012 Olympics and represent Great Britain right there in London. Mm -hmm. um, so starting, you know, with team camp in 2007, I think, um, and then, you know, every summer up until 2012 um, was working towards one getting from B division to A division, proving ourselves, you know, as um, a contender in the European game. So that first year we did get promoted from that B division to A division. So then we started, you know, playing games to get into the European championships to, and the funding and trying to build our, our budgets were very low. They didn't know what, you know, we weren't getting paid, but it was something that I've always embraced hard work and, and being kind of an underdog and, you know, a blue collar worker where we don't expect anything, but we're going to 
work our hardest to, you know, play the best in the world and, and be considered one of the best teams we have through there. So it was, it was a huge challenge, but it was an amazing honor to be on the 2007 team that was promoted and then to walk into the opening ceremony. And it was really surreal. It was the pinnacle of any athlete's you know, dream of being a sport and turning on the TV at, you know, five years old and watching and not believing that this could actually be you. So it, it definitely was one of the best journeys I've ever taken. I know that I've embraced reaching that goal and embraced the journey a lot more than actually having the title of Olympian. I like becoming an Olympian. And then although coming to terms with what does that mean? I know that there's very few of us that have reached that pinnacle in their sport, but then we can just live as, you know, an everyday Olympian, I guess. And then, you know, try and challenge ourselves to do your best at everything you're doing. And um, I mean, your main focus or your main decision or every decision in your daily life was that date, you know, 2012. August and so taking that pressure off and just being like gosh you did that so then we need to make more goals in your life you need to you know right refocus on and I've I've found coaching and that was an amazing thing because a lot of athletes kind of squander and don't really know what to do but I had I fell back on being a coach and sharing my knowledge of the game with these awesome kids that, you know, just have the work ethic and the focus and everything it takes to be a great team. But I've always, I know what it takes to be at the highest where it's like, gosh, this is high school. Everyone relax. Let's have some fun. (laughs) You know, kind of preserving the innocence of this child's game because it really is. And just um, what is our main motivating factor? It should be being with your teammates, it should be having fun, you know, not pleasing your parents, not pleasing the, a coach or, you know, just going out and having a good time because these are fleeting moments that you can't get back. So that, that must've been yeah. a big part of finishing your playing career. Cause if you're working so much for a specific goal of the 2012 Olympics and extending mm-hmm. your European career to then once that all finishes is you got to find something to turn to. So where to kind of come back to the, the mental health topic a little mm-hmm. bit, where were you at at that point as your career in Europe was continuing, you had some hard moments like in Greece where there's some existential problems of oh, I'm mm-hmm. all alone, a new culture. My coach doesn't speak English. I was kind of pampered as a student athlete. So that was kind of the external problems. What about, what about internal? Where, where were you at mm-hmm. mentally? Were you, happy as a person or did you start to notice some things where you realized oh maybe 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 that's what led you to some you know get into counseling and mental health later on what was your own story as your professional career was going on yeah and I just want to clarify pampered maybe just treating treated as we we should have been you know where it yeah but along those lines I think towards the end of my career and 
I, I needed shoulder surgery. I tore my rotator cuff and that was just a gradual thing. I mean, that was just in the shooting motion, which is like insane, not one, you know, so having to really take a step back and think this is the one body you're given. I want to be able to, you know, hike and pick up my kids and run the stairs and, you know, so, um, really looking in the mirror and saying this, what, what else do you want from playing? And, um, after the Olympics, I did come home and I was supposed to retire and my family and friends were super excited and, you know, had retirement parties and everything. And, um, I was trying to believe that I was okay and trying to embrace that. Yeah, this was the right time to do it. Um, and it didn't happen to be for me mentally, physically. Yes. My body was probably like, and you're done, please. (laughs) (laughs) Can you find something else to do? But mentally and emotionally, I wasn't ready to give up what I love about the game, being part of a team, working towards the same goal, you know, um, having having life overseas where, you know, visiting 35 out of the 44 European countries. And it was a vessel to for growth in all kinds, embracing just being in different cultures and learning so much about the world outside of the States because it's really big and wonderful. So I got an opportunity to play again overseas for in Latvia and I I took it they signed me for playoffs and I just there was no hesitation my partner at the time you know he and I talked about it and he was like I support you um and there I went was that probably what I wanted to hear I don't know was that something that maybe should have been let's try and build this life now that was your life, you know? So um, there I went and I loved it. I actually, for Great Britain, we had another European championship that summer. And uh, that's when I finally, I finally did it. So uh, 2013, after the European championships came home, I think finally got that out of my system because my body was really hurting. I think properly saying goodbye to the game and my teammates and, you know, the world that was, uh, or the life that I knew on to the next one. So it wasn't until years after that, knowing how, how difficult it really was for me making that transition. Our lives are very different. They're, they're very lonely. I mean, we're alone in our awesome apartments and we get cars and phones and everything. We have the structured schedule and we're, you know, uh, flying all around the world and putting our bodies in these, you know, um, hours and hours and hours in the gym and, and, and buses and planes. And, but, um, yeah, it wasn't until I'm actually practicing yoga. Um, and I'm just like crying on the mat, like what is going on? And I think it really was just letting go of, the competition and letting go of 
the rigor of uh, being a professional athlete and in yoga, you know, I found balance literally, but um, balance balanced my competitive like intensity. And then it brought me just like calmness and and it helped with my anxiety. And um, I think tying the um, movements and the breath, right. That yoga is about. Um, I could, as athletes, we take on, we inhale, we, you know, we're gasping for air all the time. And with yoga, I found how to exhale. And that was really something that, you know, you don't really think of when you're running up and down the court. Like, I just need some more air. I can't let go of anything. I can't. So tying that, you know, paralleling that with like kind of the mental health aspect of just letting go, letting go of what I've, I've done to my body, letting go of all the, you know, things that didn't serve me anymore and just becoming, you know, more clear and um, less anxious still moving my body, right? Because it definitely needs more stretching and more, but um, using that breath to really help cleanse a lot of the stuff that kept me anxious, kept me like going, you know, and in the intense world that uh, sports brings. My kids love it. I teach my high school. They're like, coach, can we do yoga today? I'm like, no, you guys need to shoot. (laughs) That's great. A couple last things I kind of want to touch on coaching and and wrap both your passion and coaching at the very same school that you played at when you were in high school at at Bellarmine in Tacoma. Um, How did you start to see maybe the lessons you learned and as you start to process through what it means to just exhale both both physically and symbolically of, of letting things go and and having a better mindfulness and process to work through. When you started to work with the kids who were, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old and, and start to imagine, you know, where you were at when you were their age, what were some of the things that, I don't know, maybe you started to realize, wow, I really didn't know as much back then. And maybe you could help them realize those things a little bit. I mean, what, what were some examples of how you started to coach the girls differently now because of all the things that you had learned since you were their age? Yeah, um, no, that's that's a great question. I, um, I loved how I, you know, made the full circle back to Bellarmine because I really had... Um, some amazing coaches um, and we did focus on having fun and being a family first and um, having played with my sister in high school and at Santa Clara, um, I've always embraced or I've always seen my team as you know, a sisterhood. So we, we, we go deeper than just teammates and yes, not all teammates need to be best friends, but it does help to have that certain chemistry outside of the team. Um, and, um, so becoming, um, a high school coach at Bellarmine was, um, it was a pretty easy transition because I, I didn't, I did understand where the girls were at in, you know, their careers as a player and their, their age and, you know, being a student and kind of seeing their whole future in front of them. But um, really understanding that 
these are the these are the good old days. I mean, in in regards to these are the times that you're going to remember. You know, um, we're not going to remember the scores or the this or that. I mean, we'll remember if we got third in state, and we'll remember that we knocked off the you know national championships with the only loss they had. We'll remember that, <laughs> but not not the the everyday things of of what you know, basketball scores and things. It is like making those uh, relationships. And um, yeah, I'm proud to say that most of my high school team, I still am in contact with. And they've actually come, you know, came out to one of my games and we had kind of an alumni thing. And for my kids to, uh, to see that, that could be them or that those are the relationships that last 20 odd years plus like that's that's the important bit but um to go along to kind of your question is in what um what what can what did i bring or i don't know i just wanted to help them see that that it is a child's game and that it it doesn't have to be so solely about wins and losses and here I am a coach and you know where yeah is that the main goal some say so but you know not all these kids are going to play as long as I did and I'm very aware of that so yeah and just being supportive in their choices and um, pushing them to be their best and wanting them to succeed in, in that sport but uh, seeing them as truly young women uh, first and foremost. That's some that's some great stuff, and I'm excited to see what happens both with coaching there at Bellarmine and what you learn in the graduate program and all the stuff you've still got a long career ahead of you. Um, there's we haven't even touched on Oregon State that much in your time there and and playing in Corvallis. So um, mm -hmm. there's a lot uh, you know we could talk about of what it was like to transfer to Oregon State. There's no transfer portal at that point. That might have been a fun right. story. Not to mention your last, I mean, your last win at Oregon State was against Santa Clara and your former school. So that's I another know. another fun story. But just to kind of wrap it all together, what's maybe one memory, a, a favorite moment, a favorite game, mm -hmm. something at Oregon State uh, that you remember playing for the Beavers? Oh, the Beavs. Um, I'd have to say Civil War game of 2006. And um, we had just played them down, you know, in Eugene. And we're back in Gill, and we had, it was nine seconds on the clock. I think they had the ball, and we get the rebound. And Mandy Close is a lefty, and she gets it on the right side. And I'm running straight down the middle. I mean, this is on YouTube. It's, like, pretty amazing. It gives you chills. <laughs> and she has it in her right hand, and she's, like, going back and forth. And with time ticking off the clock. I mean, it was just, I don't even know, but she makes this like left-handed scoop shot, gets fouled and we were down 60 to 61. And it is just like, I mean, we still watch it and just, it. I mean, we tackle her, her legs are up in the air. Like it's one of those moments where that's what sports are all about. And you know, having that memory. Um, where I can guarantee that any of the girls on that team would would say that was the highlight of their college, you know, and she went on and hit the free throw and we win. But it was just like such a such a great thing. But that's what it's all for, you know.
That's an awesome memory. And when I talk with Casey uh, Bun Wilson, who I had on the podcast, the yeah. two names she brought up were you and Mandy Close. So I'll, mm-hmm. I'll reach out to Mandy soon and see if she wants oh, to yeah. to come on. And maybe we'll talk about that same game and scooping a shot to, to go ahead against Oregon. So that'll be a, a fun one to get <laughs> yeah. multiple perspectives on. Um, mm-hmm. Let's close with just a funny, just a funny question. Maybe there's no answer, but just just as mm-hmm. almost a joke. If since you were coaching at Bellarmine this past winter, the 2019-2020 team that you were right. the coach of, if you could somehow magically pit that team against your 2001 Bellarmine squad when you were a senior, so you get to coach a team playing against yourself, your 2001 mm-hmm. team, how would that game go? 2019 Bellarmine versus 2001 Bellarmine. Oh, that is so funny um, because – I just got a hold of those VHS tapes. So <laughs> I dug them out. Um, I recently moved and I'm like looking through all the stuff and, uh, and I, and I want to show my girls that cause they've, they know I sometimes play with them now. I'm like, come on coach, go easy or whatever. I'm like, all I have is about 10 minutes before I'm icing on the, <laughs> but um, I think the game would be pretty close. I think my team now is is faster pace, uh, one two pass layup, right? Um, we have some great shooters, but um, I think the two thousand one team, um, I think all five could score, and and you know, uh, I don't know, and they had Butler in the post, I don't know. <laughs> It would be pretty fun. That would be great. That would be great. But I do want to show those those kids, me in the Lions uniform and my sister. So yeah. all good, all great memories. Well, thanks so much for chatting about your time at Oregon State and how you're growing professionally and, and an important yeah. topic about mental health and working through as an athlete or anybody. So it's mm-hmm. real fun to hear what you're doing and maybe a year from now when you're, you know, making progress in your graduate program, we can touch base again and talk more about Oregon State and Bellarmine and all that good stuff. So thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Josh, so much. Well, I hope you had fun listening to Kim Butler in this episode talking about that real fun time of, you know, women's basketball is a long history at Oregon State. And we talk a lot about the Scott Ruick era and some of the major, you know, players and names we're familiar with of the recent few years. And and yeah, it's some of the best years in program history, but there are some fun names from decades before that. And well, Kim Butler didn't even play that long ago, um, but just a different era that maybe gets forgotten sometimes as we talk so much about 2016 and some of the other big years in Oregon State women's basketball history. So fun to relive a little bit of her career and talk about a lot more than basketball. Those are the favorite conversations I've got. And we get into that in some future episodes as well. I've got Malcolm Agnew as my next episode on the podcast coming out Monday. A really interesting football career he had at Oregon State and beyond. So look forward to that one as well as my first softball guest and a wide variety. So thanks for tuning in to the Beaver Tales podcast. Check out the link in the description for the Beaver Tales documentaries. I hope you can subscribe there. The project is coming together and looking really good coming out a few months from now. Until next time on the Beaver Tales podcast, I've been your host, Josh Warden. Good night, everybody, and go Beavs. <laughs>